So Money Episode 424, Kimberly Palmer. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 84 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business. It all starts with a stunning website with hundreds of designer-made, customizable templates to choose from. The drag-and-drop editor. There's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. Wix.com empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. Too busy. Too busy worrying about your budget. Too busy scheduling appointments. Too busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your website today. The result is stunning. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. June 1st. Alas, it is June. Summer is here. It is. It, it really, I know we have another 20 days, but I mean, it's June, okay? I'm putting on the tank tops and the shorts. I don't care. It's time. It has been a long-awaited season. My guest today is a friend of So Money. She was on way back when, episode 274, Kim Palmer. Take a listen to that episode if you haven't. She's amazing. She is a personal finance expert, author, entrepreneur, and she's here again to promote her new book called Smart Mom, Rich Mom, How to Build Wealth While Raising a Family. Kim is now the work and jobs editor at AARP. She has her full-time job, but she's also very entrepreneurial, which is why we love her. And she's a mom of two. And so this book is very apropos. She talks about how to manage being a parent, being a mom, a working mom, how to afford your family. You know, it costs $250,000 to raise one child in today's world, and that doesn't even include college. So in her new book, Kim discusses the ways moms are now currently navigating all these waters, maintaining her career, parenting, and bringing in the big income. Many of them are the breadwinners. Some of them are single moms and how they're doing it and succeeding. The book comes out next week on June 9th. In our conversation, we talk about why is it all up to mom, you know, to give the good lessons about money and how do you involve your partner? How to save for college? How do you know how much to save every month if your child is going to college in say 15 or 18 years? And a mistake that some moms who opt out of the workforce to raise their kids make when it comes time to going back in the workforce and finding that new job. Here we go. Here's Kim Palmer. Kim Palmer, welcome back to So Money. This time as a a new author, this is your third book. That's right. Hi, Farnoosh. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Smart Mom, Rich Mom. I I wanted to have you on since I knew you were coming out with this book. Such an important topic, Smart Mom, Rich Mom, How to Build Wealth While Raising a Family. And we were just talking about how we have known each other for so long. I mean, I remember talking to you at my desk phone at thestreet.com many, many years ago. We both started out as personal finance writers and you've gone on to write three amazing books. And what I like about your 
literary background is that you write about what you know. Like your books are all about, okay, where am I in my stage of life? What do I need help with? Or what am I noticing people need help with? And that's what you target. And it's so smart. And so now you've graduated into parenthood and (laughs) have a book called Smart Mom, Rich Mom. But what were the struggles that you were finding? What were the pain points that you were discovering either in your own life or other moms that you felt were, were so important that they merited a book? Yeah, well, for me, um, when I basically when I became a mom six years ago, it felt like everything changed, including my finances. So all of a sudden, I was so much more concerned with making sure we had financial security. Like I felt this intense pressure just to make sure I was making the right choices. And I mean, it started out just, you know, making sure that we had savings in case one of us lost our job, we could still afford our house and food. And now as my daughter and now my son have gotten older, it's grown into, into new priorities and questions like how do we, how in the world do we save for college while also saving for our retirement? So I just, to me, it felt like becoming a mom created so many new financial issues and questions and challenges. And a lot of what I was seeing being a personal finance writer, a lot of the articles I saw for moms were really limited to talking about couponing and how do you save, you know, a dollar here and there, which is important. I love couponing myself, but it's such a small part of being a mom and managing the family finances. So I wanted to look at that big picture and help moms who are facing those issues like I was. What about dads? Do you think that they also have the same <laughs> like night terrors of like, oh, I'm, I'm sure they do, right? Because a lot of them are the breadwinners. Um, So yeah. what kind of differentiation did you find between moms and dads? Yeah, it's a really good question. So I, I mean, the reason I wrote this for moms is because so much falls on our shoulders. And a lot of families, you know, a big chunk of families nowadays are headed by single moms or the moms like as you've written about, the moms are the breadwinners. And I just found that even in traditional families, the moms are often in the driver's seat with money, especially the day-to-day finances. And so because of that, it really falls to us to make sure we're making the right choices and saving money for our family and building wealth. So um, through my interviews with other moms, I just found that that other moms felt like that too, that it's on their shoulders. And we're also the ones often teaching our kids about money and modeling money behavior for our our sons and daughters. So all of those factors um, combined made me feel like I wanted to write specifically for moms. And then, of course, there's the whole issue of how moms and working, we have some unique issues with feeling pressure to be at home and also working and making money. I wanted to get into that too. So all of those factors, that's why I wrote for moms. Perfect. I know. I have 40% of women are breadwinners, and that includes a growing portion of single mothers. You mentioned the very important conversation that we need to be having about earning. And it's, like you said, a lot more difficult for women because we are more likely to opt out of the workforce after having kids. So how do you reconcile all of that? You know, being able to have the family that you want, taking the time off appropriately to nurture that, especially in the early stages of your child's life, but also be able to make the money that you need, or at least have the financial security that you need to also address the bigger picture, which is supporting your family financially. 
It's so hard. I mean, it's a struggle that a lot of us are living every day. So I basically approached it by interviewing moms in three different situations, either moms who scaled back altogether from the workforce, but were still making smart long-term choices by staying connected professionally, continuing to a network, um, continuing to have big social media presences. So they kept um, on top of what was going on in their fields and all of that could make it easier for them to get back into working when they were ready. Uh, And then a middle category uh, that I thought of as the more entrepreneurial moms that said, you know, I don't want to be in the office from nine to six every day, but I do still want to make significant contribute significantly to to the finances in our family. So a lot of moms uh, set their own schedules by building businesses and being creative about launching something new that they could be in control of and set their own hours. And then the last category of moms, and this is what I fall into myself, um, moms that are working in a traditional job, a nine to six type job, but still find ways to negotiate flexibility, ask for what they want, uh, find a way to refuse to feel too guilty about um, things they have to miss. And, you know, it's, it is a struggle for sure, but finding ways to, um, when you're negotiating your salary, for example, this is one thing I did. I also made sure to negotiate my schedule. And I I said, you know, I have to leave at five every day. I can't be late for picking up my kids. Um, so just asking for what you want and being, you know, assertive and not feeling badly about negotiating that was something that I heard from other moms in that situation, just to make it all work because it is, it is very hard. (laughs) It's a challenge. It's not only a challenge because you feel guilty asking for these things, but it's also a challenge, I think, because the workplace is still very traditional. Yeah. So what did you find? I'm curious as far as the willingness, because you need, it takes two to tango here. Like you need, you can do all the asking, but if you're being faced with resistance at work, what do you do? Or are you you finding that uh, the workplace is becoming more flexible and understanding? Well, on one hand, it is for sure becoming more flexible. At least a lot of workplaces are. So uh, often, you know, oftentimes now bosses know that they, to keep their best performers, the women in their thirties, um, who are having kids and raising kids at the same time, they have to make some uh, allowances for flexibility. So that's the good part because so many women, the moms who have come before us, and now, you know, we're often working for moms, um, who did this 10, 20 years ago. So they have a greater understanding. So that's definitely positive. But at the same time, it still so often falls on individual mom's shoulders to negotiate this on a case by case basis. The time when you have the most power, just like with salary is when you first get a job offer. So if you are switching jobs, that's when you can say, you know, this is what I need. I need to work at home one day a week. I need to be able to leave by five, whatever it is. That was my situation. And I made sure to ask for that. Um, but th- I mean, that's really when you have the most power and it's not like, I don't want to gloss over the difficulty. It can be really hard when you're in a job, you feel like you don't have power. And I mean, the best thing you can do is decide what you need for yourself and ask for it at those key times, whether it's your once a year review period or when you're switching jobs to try to renegotiate that landscape and find a way. So you can you feel like you are doing both things, work and mothering the way that you want to. Were there any things that you found women moms should avoid doing with regards to, you know, opting out and then trying to reenter into the workforce or whether it's going back to their nine to sixes or starting a career of their own at home? Is there like a sweet 
period of time that once you exceed like six months, a year, two years, yeah. like your chances diminish of being able to get back into the workforce uh, properly. Yes. What did you find? Yeah. Well, this was really eye-opening to me. So um, I am, I teach a class filled with older moms in their 50s and 60s that are trying to re-enter the workforce. Uh, and they taught me so much. So moms who now have 20-somethings, they're empty nesters, if they hadn't worked at all in those interim you know, 15, 20 years, it was so hard for them to get back into things. I mean, in my class, I was teaching them how to set up LinkedIn profiles and Twitter accounts and try to you know get familiar with the current landscape of work. And it was just everything about it was difficult. And, you know, if you haven't worked in 20 years, you have to suddenly relearn the culture, uh, relearn. I mean, things have changed from how people dress and talk to the fact that people use email instead of phone now. So it's it was just very overwhelming. Um, so the women that I learned from that did a, a really good job of this really stayed connected in some way. So one of them actually had put so much time into the PTA like, but like almost like a full-time job into the PTA. And so when she went back to apply for jobs, she actually got one pretty quickly because she said, Hey, I've essentially been working, you know, 30 hours a week. I just, it's been voluntary, uh, but she could take that experience and show she was current. So it's really about, you know, staying connected in some capacity. Uh, so you don't, you feel like you can leverage that when you're doing your new job interviews and trying to get back into things. What do you think kids learn the most from their moms? Uh, I, and I think you're totally right. Cause I read a while back too, this study that moms, believe it or not, have more financial influence on their kids, even if they're not the ones bringing home the big paycheck. But what did you find moms really teach the most? So our kids are just watching us and copying us in all different ways, including money. And it was actually my daughter that taught me this, that really brought this home to me in kind of like an embarrassing way. But I realized that because um, I let my, basically, if we were going out for a family trip, um, I would essentially leave my wallet at home, leave my purse at home, let, let my husband, you know, take care of everything, like pay for the restaurant meal and pay for the activities. And I realized my daughter had no idea that I was just as capable in that capacity as my husband. So I had to notice little things like that, that I was modeling. And did she say anything to you? Yes, she did. And it actually came up. Um, it came up when we were having dinner one night and I was planning the week with my husband um, saying, hey, can you pick up the kids this night? It was like a Tuesday night. Can you pick up the kids because I have to work late? And he was saying, oh, I can't. Like I have meetings too. And it was like a stressful scheduling negotiations. And my daughter was like, hey, I want mommy to get me. Like daddy needs to work. He's the one that needs to earn money. You need to come get me. That's your job. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, whoa, (laughs) where did that come from? I mean, she, you know, has seen us both work since she was a baby. And it it was like a wake up call to me that that's how she was perceiving things. And I, I, I took some serious steps after that dinner. I started uh, making sure she watched me as I paid for things. I sat her down when I was paying bills and I showed her what I was doing. And I mean, she's only six, so it's just kind of like what I thought she could understand. But yeah, I mean, they're watching us. They see how we interact. If we have partners, they're, they're very, you know, they're observing those interactions. So I just tried to be more mindful of what I was doing in front of her. 
I'd like to introduce you to one of our newest sponsors, Igloo, modern cloud-based intranet software that's designed for the way your individual business works. What Igloo does really well is connect three things, people, information, and processes. Everyone in your company has access to all the information they need using tools they already know all in one place. Dropbox, cloud storage, Google apps, Salesforce, calendars, and more. It all integrates together in Igloo. And it's accessible on any device with an internet connection, letting your team communicate and collaborate from anywhere. And all of this works for both startups and big businesses. You don't even need an IT department to set it up. But don't just take my word for it. Check out what Igloo can do for your business. Go to igloosoftware.com slash so money and get your free trial of Igloo. A free trial that's really free because up to 10 users can use it for free forever. Join companies who've already made the switch to a better, more efficient, friendly internet. Go to igloosoftware.com slash so money and see how Igloo can work for your company. What about your partner? Like, um, as, a, as being a smart mom, do you, how do you involve your partner in your finances? I think also as working moms too, uh, especially if you are the breadwinner, it's been proven that these these sorts of women believe that it is whether they believe it consciously or unconsciously, subconsciously, they take on a much a, a great portion of the financial responsibility in the relationship. They are making decisions long term and short term, and on, on the one hand, that's great. I think more women with more fiscal empowerment is great. But you're in a relationship. So how do you make sure that you're not the only one taking on all that responsibility? Yeah, for sure. So. This is such a huge issue. And um, again, when I started writing the book, I was making a big mistake because my my husband works in finances and he just like loves managing money. And so I let him I let him do that. I basically he has the Excel spreadsheet or he had I changed everything, but he had the Excel spreadsheet with our accounts and all of our, you know, organizing all of our finances and what we had to pay when. I am embarrassed to admit I did not even have the password to the account. I did not uh, know where this spreadsheet was. And as I was researching the book and interviewing other smart moms, I realized this is like a massive mistake. Like we need to know where the money is. At some point, we're going to have to probably be managing it on our own. You know, just the simple fact that we women outlive men. I couldn't let my husband do all this on his own without having any control. So I told, I we had, we had a little chat and I was like, okay, we need to make this, you know, we both need to be managing the money here. So um, right away, I actually took it upon myself to start a college savings account for our two kids. And that was actually, you have to, it's, that's basically in one adult's name. So it was, I put it in my name and, um, I, so I do all that on my own. Um, but you know, obviously he, his name is listed there too, but I'm the one that's like choosing the investments and managing it on a monthly basis. And so, and now I have the Excel spreadsheet on my computer. I have the password and we're just, we talk like once a month and we go over all this together. We figure out what we need to change, but yeah, it's like, it's a serious issue. Like if only one person is in charge of managing all of that, it makes it really hard if that other partner is suddenly traveling or sick or unable to manage it for some reason. So I personally, now think it's so important for both people to be in charge of that and you can't you can't delegate that. No, you can't. But it's so important that you spoke up and I think that you, what you experienced, it, I would be willing to bet that that's the majority of couples where there's one person because whether they it's their job in, in the real world to manage money or they just like doing it, they're more responsible, they're more organized. It gravitates towards one person. 
And that's normal, but it's, it's a slippery slope because then that person just becomes the only person that's informed. And that, of course, has, um, ramifications. Your previous book, um, Kim is called The Economy of You. So you're a big fan and you're, you model this yourself of you know, being entrepreneurial within your career finding ways to monetize your skills, which is so hot right now and it has been for some time. So for moms who want to reemerge and make money and go back into the workplace, do you think that that is the simpler step, the best, the better step? Because that, that way you have only yourself to answer to? Yes. I mean, I think it's a really awesome, perfect stepping stone for when you're ready to make some money. You don't want to be working nine to six or crazy 60 hour weeks, but you want to start earning some money and start flexing those muscles, your professional skills. The great thing is that it's so easy now because of this amazing infrastructure that is online. So websites like Freelancer or um Fiverr, you know, Etsy, of course, the one I use. I mean, there's just a lot of options depending on what your services, what your skills are. And even if you don't want to use one of those sites, it's easy enough just to set up a website and, you know, put it out there that now you're doing some kind of coaching, like social media coaching or whatever it is that your background is in. So it's just, it's just so great how easy it is to begin and start experimenting with what maybe can gain traction in the marketplace. Uh, if you have some social media accounts marketing that way and the costs can be so low to, to launch something and then you can start playing around with what you like doing and what you want to be doing in the future for your future career and finding something that does work for you and also the schedule that you want to have with your kids. So yeah, the whole uh, independent economy, I think it's just continued to grow since I wrote that book. And it's it's just so easy. It's even if you have a full-time job, it can be a fun, creatively satisfying way to just experiment with something new that you're thinking about. Even if say you're thinking, hey, one day I do want to launch my own business. You can dip your toes in now and just play around with it. And let's just use you as an example, right? So you work full-time for AARP. You yeah. also write books. You teach at American University. You, um, what else? Your um, I have Etsy shop. <laughs> you have the Etsy shop, right. Um, so how do you manage your time? You mentioned that the book is not just about managing money well, but it also is about how to manage your time efficiently. So what are some tricks that you have up your sleeve about yeah. how a busy mom can manage time and get all these things in, books <laughs> and classes and nine, a nine to five and kids? <laughs> yeah, well, one thing, uh, definitely uh, my partner, my husband, uh, it definitely helps a lot. So we make sure to stagger our schedules. So we, I mean, we don't want our kids to be at school for like nine hours a day. So, so he, my, so I start my day really early. I leave for work, um, pretty early in like by seven thirty or eight. And so I can get things started and le then leave early to pick up our kids. So he gets the kids ready, gets them to school and he starts his day later and then gets home around dinner time or just as we're, we kind of, we tend to eat a late family dinner. He's, just like walking in the door. So staggering our schedules is a huge, huge strategy that works for us. Um, and then also for all of my uh, sort of side gigs or all this I'm doing on the side, I just kind of squeeze that into lunch breaks or in the evening if I have an extra hour. Like because my book is about to come out, I've been spending an hour or two every night working on my promotion plans and mailing review copies out to people. So I just I kind of squeeze that in while we're watching, you know, reality TV or whatever in the evenings. And so I mean, I'm never going to have like one free day where I can work on my book for like eight hours. Instead, I just kind of like grab an hour 
to here. If, if on the weekend, my husband is taking the kids to the playground, then I might just like squeeze in an hour of work. So I just kind of grab hours here and there instead of waiting for like big chunks because those big chunks don't come. And that, I mean, that works for me. It helps me manage everything. And then I just try to be super organized. So I have like a planner, like a paper planner pad. Every week I write out my tasks for the week. And that just helps me. So when I do have a free hour, I know exactly what I need to do. Yeah. I got to love those lists. <laughs> I'm obsessed with lists. Um, I write them everywhere. Print, phone. They're, and I guess the problem I think is I have all these different lists. I need to just pick a medium. <laughs> I am also a list man. Yeah, but I think paper, to me, paper works best. Like I don't like storing my organizational stuff in my phone. I like it written out. I like to cross things off. It's, it's not as satisfying when you like yeah. delete it on the phone as no. opposed to scratching it off. Yeah, yeah. it feels so good. Totally. Um, what would you say is the best way to teach your kids about being fiscally responsible? I mean, there's not a lot that they can really get. They can understand, I think – you know, how to value money and they can learn how to de de delay gratification. But like to think that you're going to teach your kid like compound interest at seven years right. old is, no. <laughs> is is a w wonderful effort, but I don't think it really is going to hit home. So what are, how do you teach your kids about money? What are some of the lessons you, you share with them? Yeah. So I basically just try to talk about it all the time whenever it comes up automatically. And it actually, when I started paying attention, I realized it does come up all the time. So if we're deciding what to do for the day and we're like, oh, should we go to this museum or should we go to the pool? We were like, well, this would cost this much. And, you know, it would be more frugal if we share this meal or cook at home. So my husband and I try to like talk about that in front of the kids all the time. And there they become more aware of it. And then we also we noticed our six-year-old started making frugal suggestions. So when we were deciding like the other day, like we were like, should we order pizza or make dinner? And she was like, well, we would save money if we made dinner. And we were like, yeah, okay, let's make, let's make it. So she's, we've, be, we, she's become more aware of it. Um, and like our, our three-year-old like destroyed our sofa with like crayons one day. Oh no. And I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, like we have to clean this. And she was like, yeah, we can't buy a new one. It would be too expensive. We're going to clean this. So we just noticed she's more aware of it. <laughs> Do you give them an, well, your six, your eldest is six. So right. maybe she's not earning an allowance yet or, or when, or if, and when she does, what, how, what's your approach to all of that? Yeah. So we did start um, a small allowance uh, when she was five. So we actually give her a quarter every week and she saves it. She doesn't have to do any chores for it. We kind of expect her to do certain things around the house, like keep her bedroom clean, just, you know, independent of the allow independent of having an allowance. But we just thought, you know, she's aware of money enough that if we give her a small amount each week and she's grasping the concept of saving it, she'll even say like, if the pizza's coming and we need like tip money, she'll be like, Oh, you can have a dollar. Like, here you go. So she's, she's just like aware of the, the power of money and like the concept. So that's why I like giving her just a small amount so she can start thinking about about that. And then I, I mean, our plan is to just slowly grow that as she gets older. How are you going about saving for college? I know you said you have the 529. Yeah. But how much do you save? So we decided, and this was actually from a column in the New York Times um, by Ron Lieber. He did like an analysis of how much you need by the time they're 18 and ready to go to school. So I just based my saving plan on his column. So I try to put away and I actually set it up to do automatic deductions so we don't even have to think about it. So I do um, right now, and I actually just changed it. I had to save $500 
Um, let's see, what was it? So Ron Lieber, I think suggested $500 per kid per month. And it's a lot of money. We definitely have to cut back in other areas, but if you save that amount and if you assume certain things about the growth, um, then you should be able to have enough for college tuition. So it might not be as all of it, and especially considering how fast the cost of college is growing, but it should be, it should really help out. um, And that's for like a public school, private school. Did he, is there a scale for that too? His calculation was for private school tuition, um, estimating it by what it will cost. So yeah, so that was his sort of calculation. And then I just copied it. Got it. Okay. Um, yeah, we're saving about 500 right now a month for Evan. And, um, but, but, uh, and you know, we're okay if he goes to Penn state. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we, we totally. Totally. And the good thing is, I mean, if the 529, Not that that's cheap, I mean, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. out of state is like pretty expensive now. Oh, for sure. But like, if you have more left over, then maybe if they go to graduate school, you can mm-hmm. go to that. Or I mean, it's not like the money is going to be wasted. Exactly. Um, and who knows what's going to happen with college by the time our right. kids are ready. There's so much that's in flux right now, whether it's um, schools get, cl- being forced to shut down because they're not graduating employable people. <laughs> <You know. laughs> yeah. But um, I don't know. This whole student loan situation is frightening. Um, it's you know. scary. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like because in so many that's your professions, next book. That's the next one, right? College is like, I mean, at least now it seems like pretty essential to, you know, helping our kids get a strong start. So I feel like we almost have like a responsibility to help them make sure they're not dragged down by so much debt when they're starting out. Parents, but also institutions have a responsibility, you know, like we need to all come together because it can't just all be on the parents and the students. It has to be something at the institution level, the government level, you know, I, I don't know. We need to be able to dismiss some of these loans a little bit easier. I, think, I agree. <laughs> I just interviewed actually Jay Fleischman, who's a student loan attorney. Check out that episode on So Money, folks, if you want to learn how to, you know, find ways to break free from your loans. Did you even know that was possible? There are some ways. So there's hope out there. Um, Kim, so uh, the New York Times reviewed your book and was very excited about it. They actually even called you occasionally very witty. <laughs> I love that line. If I were you, I would run with that. Like, I would just be like, hi, I'm Kim Palmer. The New York Times says I'm occasionally very witty and I have books. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think I bring that up to my husband like once a day. <laughs> Seriously, you should start making T-shirts, like put on the front of your homepage. Like that needs to be front and center. <laughs> Um, but $250,000 to raise one tiny person. That's crazy. It's crazy. It's very overwhelming. And that's the average. And that's not including college. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's like if you really thought about it, you would never have children because it's so, so <laughs> catastrophic to your finances. I'm thinking about that right now. Do I have baby number two? You know, yes, two fifty k plus interest. Um, you know, sometimes I see parents in New York City and they're with three, four, five children, and I'm thinking, are they living? For, are they for just visiting for the day from New Jersey? And if they're not, if they're living in Manhattan, who are they? I need to network with these people because they make bank. <laughs> <laughs> Kim Palmer, you've been so much fun. Congratulations on your new book, Smart Mom, Rich Mom. It sounds a lot like it, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah, is that intentional? We might have, we might, yeah, it is intentional. So um, I, yeah, we kind of like took that and twisted it and made it for moms. I love it. 
And hopefully you'll sell just as many books. I believe he sold like <laughs> hundreds of thousands, millions of copies. Um, yeah. And so wishing you uh, continued success and come back again. Thank you so much for having me, Farnoosh. It's always fun to talk to you. That's Kim Palmer. If you'd like to learn more about her or her book, visit Kimberly-Palmer.com. Kim is also on Twitter at Kimberly Palmer. And by the way, her original episode on So Money, episode 274. You can go to SoMoneyPodcast.com and listen to that. And as always, while you're at SoMoneyPodcast.com, just click on Ask Farnoosh and send me your question for the Friday episodes. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Hope your day is so money.